Our text this morning is the book of Ruth, chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And this is the word of God for us today. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So, when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Let me ask you to pray with me once again. Father, again we bow, and again we seek your blessing as we study your word. Let this not be merely a broadcast. Let this not be merely us looking at a Bible study, but let it be us learning from you character and hope in the grace of Christ. Lord, do what only you can do. Let your word come back uh, accomplishing its purpose. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Ruth has been a story of drama and beauty. We've seen wonderful godly character. We've seen hurtful and sinful decisions. We've seen pain. We've seen hope. And we're still here in chapter 4 awaiting a conclusion. Naomi, old and widowed, is still waiting to see if the noble and godly Boaz is going to be able to marry the young Moabite widow Ruth, Naomi's daughter-in-law. If this all works out, it'll be beautiful. But we know of one remaining obstacle, a relative of Naomi's late husband. See, if all this was about was a marriage, things would probably be a little easier. 
But there's a question here, lineage and property rights connected to it. There's money involved here. When Naomi's husband Elimelech fled Bethlehem for Moab, he likely sold the rights to the produce of his property. Someone from Elimelech's family needs to redeem that property, buying it back so that the property will not be lost to the clan. And the near relative of Elimelech's might also want the piece of property for himself. The problem is there's a near relative and we don't know him. Is he a good man? Would he care for Naomi? Would he take care of Ruth? Technically, this man both has the first right to buy back the land, and he actually has the first right to marry Ruth, to take her as a wife. But things have been looking so good lately. We, we don't want to see some crummy relative mess it up now. You also need to remember, as we jump in, that the working of God is both behind the scenes here and front and center. Back in chapter 1, Naomi heard that the Lord had provided food in Bethlehem. In chapter 2, Boaz said that Ruth had come to find shelter under the wings of the Lord. We've seen that the Lord has been subtly directing Ruth's steps, leading her to Boaz's field at just the right time for the two to meet. But what is the Lord up to here? It is, by the way, far more than the story of one family. Well, as we study the passage today, we're going to see a bit just a tiny bit of what God's up to ultimately here. We're going to need to finish this chapter to see all the rest. And as we study, like we've done before now, we'll see some things that people do that we want to follow, character that we want to emulate, and we'll see at least one attribute we want to avoid. And in the process, we're going to learn a bit about the concept of redemption, which is a truth that gives all of us great hope and great joy. So if you're going to take notes, I'll give you three character points to write down from the text. Point number one is this. Do all things properly. Do all things properly. Ruth chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 begin this way again. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. So chapter 3 drew to a close, and we saw that Ruth and Naomi knew that Boaz was willing to marry Ruth. But they knew that there's an unnamed relative who had first claim to the right to marry Ruth and buy back the property. And Naomi tells Ruth, I know this, Boaz is not going to rest. He's going to resolve the matter today. And as chapter 4 opens, we see in truth Boaz is moving right away to have this situation resolved. Boaz goes to the city gate. It's a place where leading men of the town would meet. If business was going to be formally transacted, it was transacted in that space that's right there near the city gate. It was an outdoor spot that kind of functioned like a city hall does in some of our societies today. And two things were convenient about this. First, All of the men of the town who were going to go out to work, leaving town to go to the field to work, many of them would pass this particular area. And, of course, the leading elders, the older men of the city, they were always around there and they could witness any formal agreement made. And the phrase comes next, and behold, which tells us we should be a little surprised that the unnamed relative comes across Boaz's path so quickly. 
The beholder reminds us that God's hand is secretly moving behind the scenes. That hand of God brought Naomi and Ruth to Bethlehem when the harvest was beginning. That hand of God brought Ruth to the field of Boaz. And now that same hand of God brought the unnamed relative to the city gate bright and early. And Boaz calls to the relative, asking him to come and sit with him in the gate. And I would guess that when Boaz called to this man, he may have actually used the man's name. But the Bible is very intentional here not to give the man's name to us. Instead, the words that are translated my friend here, which are actually not necessarily words that mean my friend. The words are Poloni Almoni. And they're actually just a pair of almost nonsense words. They're words that rhyme, but they refer to a person. A couple of the commentators that I've read would say that this is almost like the Bible saying that this man's being called Mr. So-and-so. And then Boaz gets 10 elders of the city to be witnesses. He's getting right down to business, formal, legal business. Then comes verses 3 to verse 4. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you'll redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you." So Boaz lays out before Mr. So-and-so, the unnamed relative, and the ten city elders, the situation of Naomi. And the language here may come off a little strange to you and me because this doesn't fit our culture. The idea of selling the land the way that they're understanding it doesn't mean what you and I think of when we think of selling land in our time. Listen to Leviticus 25 verses 23 to 27. God says this, The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me, and in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold." If a man has no one to redeem it, and then himself becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the years since he sold it and pay back the balance to the man to whom he sold it, and then return to his property. Permanent ownership of the land in Israel was not supposed to be sold from one person to another. Instead, what you bought was the right to the produce of that land based on a certain number of years. You would buy the right to work the land and to profit from the land. But long-term ownership of the land was not supposed to pass from family to family. God wanted each tribe's land allotment to stay the same. After all, the land, God says, belongs to him, not the people. The people are stewards of that land. So if a person has financial difficulties, they might sell their land rights. But the expectation would be that eventually the land rights would be returned to the family or redeemed, bought back for the family. When Boaz brings up Naomi's property and its sale then, he's pointing out that Naomi needs somebody to buy back her land. A close relative would have the right to do this. And the assumption is that the close relative would, out of kindness, provide for Naomi's needs. 
Now you might want to ask yourself, well, why would I want to do this if I was a relative? What would motivate you to do it? You might want just to be kind to Naomi, right? You might say, hey, I love this family. Poor widow's in trouble. I'm going to help her out. A relative also might think to himself, I want to purchase the right to this land so I can make a profit off the produce of the land. And, you know, maybe farming the field would provide for you a little bit more than what Naomi actually needs. So you mean, sure, I can, I can take the land, I can feed the widow, and I can still make a few bucks. So redeeming the land could be a profitable venture. Now, I want us to stop and notice something here about Boaz and about Boaz's character. He does every bit of this properly. Boaz has a vested interest in this relative giving up his rights to be a redeemer. Boaz wants him to give up the right to redeem the land. Boaz wants to marry Ruth. But Boaz here does no single thing that's not above board. He gathers the elders He tells the unnamed relative about Naomi and the property. Boaz makes sure that everybody knows that Mr. So-and-so has the first right to the land. And Boaz is super honest here. He says, look, I want to redeem this land if you, Mr. So-and-so, don't want to do it. So Christians, here's something to think about. There are going to be times when we have outcomes that we wish to gain. But may we be people like Boaz here, always doing things properly. Don't be the kind of people who disguise your intentions. Don't be the kind of people who go against the word of God. Don't be the kind of people that go against the laws of the land. May we not be the kind of people who would ever cheat others. May we never trick others. Let's be open and honest and proper in our dealings Because that's a reputation we want not only for ourselves, but we want that reputation because it shows the world that we trust that God will accomplish what we need. God will accomplish his purposes, and he does not need our trickery or our underhandedness. May we never sin to try to get what we think is a good outcome. May we do all things properly. But then comes the question. What's going to happen? Boaz asks Mr. So-and-so, you going to redeem the land or not? And all of us want Mr. So-and-so to say, nope, you take it, Boaz. We want the pathway open for Ruth and Boaz to be married. But then for the last half says this, and he said, I will redeem it. The man says yes, and we all go, no. That's not how this story is supposed to end. Boaz presented the situation to this man. It's a very favorable, honest light that Boaz gives. Now, Boaz is going to say the only thing he has left to say, the only thing that this relative might think is a negative, and it's going to lead us to our second character point for today. Point number two, if you're writing points down, give selflessly. Give selflessly. Look at verse 5. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. 
Continuing here to be completely open and completely honest, Boaz points out to Mr. So-and-so that acquisition of Naomi's field also includes the responsibility of marriage to Ruth. In Israel, if a man's brother died without any children, his unmarried brother would marry the widow, and they would produce children to carry on the family name, the name of the dead brother. And that prevented inheritances from being muddled in Israel. It prevented clans from disappearing from the nation. And this custom was known as leverate marriage. You can read about it in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 and following. I want to read you verses 5 and 6 of Deuteronomy 25. It says this, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel." Now, that may sound a little bit strange to you in our culture. We've got to understand that to the Israelite, the passing of a family name from a nation was thought to be a terrible curse. And here, Boaz is tying the idea of the leverate marriage to the idea of the Redeemer. People in Israel were not supposed to let land pass out of the clan. Neither were they supposed to allow a family name to die out. So though the Deuteronomy passage says nothing there about Redeemer, that word Redeemer is not in it, we can see we can see that by this time in Israel's history, uh, redeeming the land and redeeming the widow were tied together. So now all the cards are on the table. The unnamed relative has a lot to gain from this. He can gain a new piece of land. He can gain for himself a wife who, by Boaz's own declaration in chapter 3, is known to be a woman of character. Then comes Ruth chapter 4, verse 6. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I imperil my own inheritance. (laughs) Oh, excuse me. Lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So when the relative finds out that Ruth and raising up offspring in the name of her late husband Malon are part of the bargain, the man bows out. Why? Is it because Ruth is a Moabite? Maybe. Is it because the deal no longer looks financially beneficial? Perhaps. We can't say for sure. But what we can say for sure is that this man declares that redeeming the land and redeeming the widow would be something, a cost he was unwilling to bear. He was willing to take the property, but he was not willing to bear the responsibility of marrying the Moabite. So the relative says, Boaz, you can redeem it all. Now, before we move on again, let's stop and see something that Scripture really wants us to see here. This unnamed relative is selfish. The Bible shows us we're not supposed to think well of him. That's why his name is not mentioned. His name ought to be here, but it's not. He is unwilling to give for the good of others. He's willing to take the land. He's willing to take the financial benefit of the land, but he is not willing to put his money or his reputation at risk by taking Ruth as a wife and raising a family with her in the name of her dead husband. It's kind of interesting you think about it. Leverate marriage is intended to preserve the name of the family. This relative who is unwilling to help, he loses his name so far as the Bible's concerned. He is never named, and it's very much on purpose. 
Christians, we are, as I've said in each chapter, I think here, we are to be a giving people. We are to be a protecting and providing people. We've seen this attribute in Boaz time and time and time again. He has a willingness to do others good, even when the good was to cost him. And that is a key theme in the book of Ruth. The Hebrew word hesed is a word that speaks of God's covenant-making, covenant-keeping, self-sacrificial love. Ruth showed hesed to Naomi when she left Moab and came with Naomi. Boaz showed hesed to Ruth. Mr. So-and-so lacks in hesed. But you and I want to demonstrate the hesed, the selfless love of God for all to see. So Christians, be givers, be helpers, be protectors, be providers, give selflessly to each other, and you will show the world the love of the Lord. Now, third point, last point for today, rejoice in redemption. Rejoice in redemption. Verses 7 and 8 here. Interesting little side note here in 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Verse 7, by the way, teaches us that the book of Ruth has to have been written at least some little time after its events took place. Why do I say that? Because the author explains to us a common custom that must no longer have been practiced when the book was actually written. He felt the need to explain this sandal thing. And the author explains to us that when a transaction like the one between Boaz and the unnamed relative took place, the one who sold rights to another would take off his sandal and give it to the other. And in a weird way, this is like a receipt. I told you, Boaz made sure to do all of this properly, according to custom, in the eyes of witnesses. So if anybody ever wants to question Boaz, whether he actually had the right to the land or the right to marry Ruth, Boaz has the testimony of 10 elders and he has the receipt of one shoe to prove his point. Then verses 9 and 10. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. The name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So here, as we've been hoping for all along, Boaz announces publicly and formally before the town elders in the city gate, he has officially become the redeemer. Boaz has redeemed all the land that once belonged to Elimelech and his two sons, the land connected to the widow Naomi. Boaz will preserve the land, not letting it be lost to outsiders. Boaz has redeemed Ruth the Moabite, who returned to Israel with Naomi. Boaz is going to marry Ruth. He's going to try to raise up offspring to preserve the family name. Then verse 11 begins with, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. So at this point, right now, 
The intended redemption is accomplished. Boaz has made everything legal before the town elders. Even passers-by who stop to watch the proceedings acknowledge that the work is done. Boaz is the redeemer of the field. Boaz will marry the widow. Boaz will take upon himself the responsibility to preserve the family line. Boaz is the redeemer. And those who are witness to what takes place, they rejoice. They pronounce three blessings upon this new family in verses 11 and 12. I'm going to read the verses to you real quick. Again, 11 to 12. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthy in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. The first blessing, the people bless Ruth saying, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. This is a very kind, very generous blessing, especially for it to be pronounced on a Moabite woman. Ruth is a foreigner. Rachel and Leah were the wives of Jacob, the the man whose name became Israel. He was the man who fathered the 12 tribes. These two women were the mothers of most of the 12 tribes. The people are saying, now that Boaz has taken Ruth under his wings, now that Ruth has come to shelter under the wings of the Lord, may she no longer be a foreign widow. May she be a mother in Israel. Then the people bless Boaz. May you act worthy in Ephrathah. Be renowned in Bethlehem. Now, they're not telling Boaz, hey, you better start living like a good guy. That's not their point. They're asking that Boaz be blessed by God, that he might live well, that he might prosper greatly, that he might continue to be known as a man of godly character. And then the third blessing, they pronounce a potential blessing on a child who could be born to this couple. This child's not there yet, but they're they're praying God bless them with a child. They're saying, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring of th- that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now, if you know your Bible, this is an interesting blessing. In the simplest terms, they're praying that the Lord make this union fruitful. But there's a lot more going on here. The naming of Perez and Tamar from historical figures here, that harkens back to a really weird season in the life of Judah, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. There are parallels here and there are opposites in the stories of Judah, Tamar, and Perez with the story of Boaz and Ruth. The story of Judah, Perez, and Tamar is found in Genesis chapter 38, and it is an ugly, ugly story. Maybe we'll preach it one time, I don't know. But Judah, unlike Boaz, Judah is not devoted to the Lord. In fact, Judah leaves his family and hangs up with the Canaanites. He looks more like Elimelech. Judah also behaves more like the unnamed relative, the Mr. So-and-so of chapter 4, in that Judah was unwilling to fulfill the responsibility of Leverite marriage with Tamar. Tamar unlike Ruth, is unwilling to be proper. She disguises herself as a prostitute to get a son, and Tamar conceives twins by deceiving the ungodly Judah, her father-in-law. And Perez, interestingly, 
is one of two twins born to Tamar. He was in line to be born second, but God in his sovereignty has Perez born first. And it's through the family line of Perez that the line of promise in the Old Testament would be carried. So why, why in the world would the people pronounce this blessing on Boaz and Ruth? Well, Ruth, like Tamar, is a foreign woman welcomed into the nation. Ruth, like Tamar, is a widow. And Ruth, like Tamar, will, the people hope, bear a son that will keep the line of the family alive. All the blessings we see here, even the weird one there at the end, they're joyful and they're sweet. The townspeople are glad about what Boaz is doing. They know he's a godly man. They know Ruth is a woman of excellent character. They know that Ruth has shown sacrificial love, hesed love to Naomi. They want this couple to make a family that will display the kind provision of God for everybody to see. But the question now is, will it happen? Will the Lord give Ruth and Boaz a child? Will he protect the family name? Will he preserve the family name? And we'll have to spend one more message in this book to find out because we won't hear about it today. But when we study that last part of chapter 4, the other thing we'll see, we will see the primary reason why the Lord chose to give us the story, the book of Ruth, in the Word of God. We'll see it then. We should love the story of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. And even more, Christians, we should love redemption. Ruth and Naomi without redemption would have ended up lost and alone. Without someone to rescue Ruth and Naomi, the land would have been lost, their family line would have died out, and the two women would have had no hope. But praise be to God, redemption came. Boaz has redeemed them. Boaz bought the land. Boaz married Ruth. And the people are rejoicing. And we too should be people who rejoice at redemption. As I've said to you already, to redeem a thing means to purchase it, to rescue it, to buy it out of danger. Land and people are redeemed in the Bible. And in this picture, the picture of redemption, we see the ultimate working of God. Because you see, we all Every one of us need to be redeemed. Why would I say that? You and I, friends, are all sinful people. We have all failed to be as perfect as God is perfect. And our sinning against God has sold us most horribly. We owe God a debt of infinite worth. It's a debt we could never, ever repay. And we, if we are left to ourselves, would be destined to be lost and under the judgment of God forever. But God chose to redeem a people for himself. God was not going to have all of humanity be lost. And so Jesus, God the Son, came to earth to be our Redeemer. Like Boaz, Jesus, by becoming human, became our near relative, our kinsman Redeemer. Like Boaz, Jesus willingly chose to bring us under his protection and provision. Like Boaz, Jesus fulfilled all righteousness, obeying every law of God perfectly and properly. 
like Boaz, Jesus paid the price to purchase us out of the destruction that we have earned for ourselves. Like Boaz, Jesus redeems us and brings us to himself, sheltering us under his loving wings and making us into his very own family. How did it work? Jesus, God the Son, became man. Jesus lived a life of utter perfection. Jesus died on the cross, and in that death, he took upon himself the full weight of the wrath of God for every sin that God will ever forgive. And Jesus rose from the grave on the third day, announcing for everyone to hear that they can come to him in faith, and all who come to him in faith will be forgiven. And Jesus promises that he will return. He will bring us to himself and he will grant all who have been forgiven eternal life. You see, the story of Ruth and Boaz is a tiny shadow. It's a sweet little pointer to what God has forever been doing in the person and work of Jesus. So hear me. If you have not come to Jesus for salvation, I urge you to run to Jesus today. There is no other Redeemer for you. Only Jesus can save your soul. Only Jesus can give you eternal life. Believe in Jesus. Turn from sin. Turn from self. Cry out to Jesus for mercy. And He will give you life. And He will give you redemption. And if you do know Jesus, live in the joy of that redemption. Let it lead you to praise God. Let it lead you to give every waking moment of your life to glorify the Lord who saved you. As we see in the passage today, let it lead you to do things properly, never dishonoring the Lord as you try to get what you want. Let it lead you to give selflessly to others, caring for others' needs, even if it costs you. And let it lead you to rejoice in redemption, praising God for Jesus, who is our true Redeemer. Let's pray together, friends. Lord, we bow again. We thank you so very, very much for your word. And Lord, we would ask you, that as we have seen Boaz redeem, as we've seen that as a shadow of the redemption in Jesus, help us worship you and help those who are not yet redeemed to come to you for saving grace. God, that's our hope. That's our desire. Make us people who magnify you even as we celebrate the redeeming love of Jesus. It's in his holy name we pray. Amen.